Welcome to Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Federico Vitici. Hello, Fraser. How are you? I'm pretty good. Holidays are here. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I feel like uh, we finally talked about email clients, and now it's time to tackle something new. Yeah, time to move on a little bit. Uh, I, am, I mentioned holidays are here. I'm recording in a different room from normal today, so if my audio sounds a little bit different, I do apologize. This isn't the room I normally use for podcasting, but it's the best I've got uh, in this strange place that I'm in right now. Are you saying you're traveling, Fraser? I might be traveling, and that might be relevant to our topic for tonight, <laughs> which is all about traveling with iOS. Yes, uh, something I am doing literally right now as we speak. Uh, and uh, we thought that with you know with summer coming up and uh, a huge proportion of the Mac world moving to WWDC and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, I thought it would make sense to talk a little bit about traveling with iOS and what are the what are the things you need to make it easier on yourself. What are the things that you need to uh, think about or care about, particularly if you're going international. Um, and also, Mike was very interested to know what's in our bag. Uh, so we'll do a little bit about bags. Maybe we'll just kick off with bags if that sounds like a good plan. All right. Yeah. So. Uh, this is, I could have a whole podcast about bags. I mean, this is this is one of the things I'm uh, kind of obsessed with finding the right bag for everything. Um, but the, the one that I've kind of settled on for the last little while is uh, from a company called Tom Bin. Uh, I know that you know them, Federico, and I'm yes. sure a number of other people know this company as well. Uh, it's a company out of Seattle in the US, uh, and they make the most amazing bags, and I, I could not love them anymore. Um I use, their, their model is called a Tombin Synapse 25 is the one I use. It's a backpack mm-hmm. uh, and it has, you know, a number of different pockets and things like that. But the thing that has been really useful for me in my kind of transition to iOS is that the little bit where the laptop goes in is interchangeable. So you can take out one size of laptop sleeve and put in a different one. Uh, so in the transition from MacBooks to iPad Pro, uh, that's been a really useful feature of that bag. So I'm still using the same bag, even though the inserts are a little bit different sized. So... Uh, that's one of the bags that I use. And the other one is from the same company. It's called their Medium Cafe bag, which is a kind of small satchel bag. And uh, the medium size, it comes in three sizes, and I use the medium one, which fits the iPad Pro just about perfectly. Um, a little bit of space for extra things, charger, uh, pencil, different things like that, but not not too big and not too bulky. So sometimes I even will take that with me while I travel and uh, swap to that once I get there, once I've carried all the stuff that I want to go there. So what, what kind of goes in the bag? Uh, for me, mainly the standard travel gear includes uh, headphones, noise-canceling headphones if I'm traveling on a plane. I, I have a pouch full of adapters that I always take with me just in case. And that we'll talk a little bit later about what those adapters might be. But in general, it's, it's to do with uh, audio-video connections and occasionally network connections. I love to travel with a backup battery. Even though iOS devices are lasting longer than ever, it's always good to, uh, particularly if you're traveling through different countries, you might not always have... Uh, the plug that you need in that country. So we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later on, but uh, a battery pack can always kind of uh, bear you along. And of course, one of the things that's really important when you're traveling now is that most of your travel documentation, and even your tickets in some cases, are on your phone. So if you show up at the gate with a dead phone, uh, you may or may not get on that flight. So that's something to be aware of as well. And the last thing that I do in my bag all the time is I have a complete duplicate set of cables and chargers. So like most people, I don't know where you charge your iPad and stuff, Federico, but mine all go beside my bed at night. And I have a full set there that is not only um, laid out on my bedside table, but actually zip tied to the leg of it because Mm -hmm. I have children in the house and they love to steal your charger all the time. So (laughs) I've taken countermeasures against that possibility. Uh, And as a result, I have a completely separate kit that I travel with. And the only thing that's that's different in there is that I also have the 29 watt iPad charger which uh, I know you love, and I, I've recently got it as well, and love too for the uh, iPad Pro. So those are the main things. And then just always carry with me a little medical kit as well, particularly if you're traveling abroad or to countries or places you don't normally go. Uh, the chances of getting sick in some way are always increased a little bit. So um, some Imodium, some painkillers, chapstick, things like that have saved my bacon on more than one occasion. Uh, and I'll, I'll spare you the exact stories of how that went down, but it wasn't pretty. Yeah, I'm also a huge Tom Bean fan myself. I've used for many, many years now, I think five or six years, I've used a Tom Bean Ristretto bag. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really like backpacks. I like uh, single shoulder strap kind of bags. And the Ristretto for 
Many, many years I, I used it to carry around my, my iPad, my 10-inch iPad. And uh, what usually goes into it is also my, my headphones. If there's room, lately I've uh, upgraded to the BNO uh, H6 second generation headphones per Marco Arment's recommendation. I really love these headphones. They come with a pouch that can be placed inside of, a, of, a tom, of my Tom Bean bag. But uh, just, you know, this week I'm waiting for my new Tom Bean bag, which I bought but uh, during the weekend, because of the iPad Pro, because the 12.9-inch yeah, the, uh, iPad Pro doesn't really fit into the Ristretto bag, so I bought a daylight briefcase uh, with, a, with an absolute shoulder strap, which is what they call. It's a $20 upgrade for the better strap, and I'm waiting for that to show up in, uh, in I think the color is steel and gray, I think it's the name of the color. Yeah, I'm waiting for that one because I, uh, I need more room for the iPad Pro, and a bunch more accessories that I plan on bringing to WWDC in June, but also in general, because sometimes I don't want to bring my BNO, BNO H6 headphones, I prefer occasionally to buy to bring my beat studio wireless headphones uh, which have a like a bigger carrying case uh, which you know takes up more space in the bag and so aside from the iPad which goes with the smart cover of course and maybe occasionally uh, an external keyboard uh, lately I've been using the Apple magic keyboard which I really do like because I can combine it with a smart cover aside from the iPad keyboard and headphones I usually bring my Apple watch charger so the standard one you know with the with the wall plug and the, and the magnetic charger thing. Mm -hmm. Then I bring my Anchor battery. It's an external battery. Uh, it's a 20,000 milliampere hour battery. It, it can basically sustain several charges for an iPhone and an iPad. A bunch of cables, of course. I'm a, Again, I'm a big Anchor fan myself, and I do like the nylon cables. So they have a nylon kind of uh, texture that they make them more durable and I've used mine it's a sec six feet I think it's two meters in Italian and uh, I love the the extra room that it gives me for charging and it's all, always goes in the bag my anchor <laughs> you can you can tell that I'm a bit of a fan <laughs> my anchor USB plug which has two USB ports as this technology called IQ which charges your devices more quickly and more intelligently my sunglasses, Fraser. I don't mm, know if it's a stereotype. I don't know if it's a stereotype, but my Carrera Italian authentic sunglasses always mm -hmm. go in the bag uh, because you know my eyeglasses are on my face, so <laughs> I need I'm to sorry. put the. Yeah, I know. I'm a, I'm really not a contact lenses fan because I think the. I'm actually kind of scared of contacts. Um, yeah, I would be too. <laughs> yeah, so my sunglasses, my headphones, occasionally, this is the last item, occasionally uh, a Bose portable speaker. Uh, me mm -hmm. and my girlfriend, we use a Bose SoundLink Mini. Not the second generation one, the first generation uh, model. It's pretty good. It's a Bluetooth speaker. It's kind of heavy, but it's portable. Uh, we bring it to the beach. Or My girlfriend, for example, uses it uh, when she's teaching class. She's a hip-hop teacher. So okay. when she goes to a location that doesn't have a stereo or a sound system, she puts on music with a Bose speaker. And I'm usually on carrying duties. So I have to put the Bose in my bag and give it to her before class. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think some of the things you mentioned there are, are absolutely great. I mean, long uh, long lightning cables is a huge thing, particularly oh, yes. if, you're, if you're spending time in hotels. Why There must be some reason why almost no hotel in the world has the plugs beside the bed. I don't know what that reason is, but I wish they would stop it. Um, so when you have your plug miles across the room, a uh, six-foot lightning cable can bring your devices to the bed, uh, which is useful because, of course, we never want to be you know more than 10 inches away from our devices at any time. Um, the other Anchor product that I really like and travel with a lot is that they have a, a multi-port USB charger. It's kind of mm -hmm. like a little square box with five USB sockets on the end um, and a power plug coming out the other end. And if you travel with the family, as I do, or even just with multiple devices, you know, you may have, you know, a full set of iOS devices plus a Kindle plus maybe your battery pack as well. Uh, you can plug them all in and then you only need to find one socket in the wall rather than three or four uh, around, your, around your room, which you might not even have that many. Uh, and it's always a good way to make a friend uh, as well at, at a conference or, or at an airport if you can plug into the wall and let them share your charger as well, which is, is a good way to do it. Last thing I want to recommend in that area is I have the uh, the Spigen Apple Watch charging stand, which is just a tiny little plastic bracket that uh, your normal Apple so uh, 
power cable goes into and then it stands up just in the right way to, to be aligned for nightstand mode on your watch. So I don't know if you use your watch as a, a travel alarm clock, but that's how I use it. Uh, and that just makes sure that you always, uh, you never have a kind of accident with knocking off the charger or anything like that, mm. which is uh, quite easy to do with the Apple Watch actually. Nice. And of course, potentially quite annoying for you if you're uh, out and about somewhere and your watch accidentally didn't charge overnight. Yeah. So yeah, those are those are some of the sort of key things for, for charging and traveling that I really like um, yeah. with with uh, iOS devices. So, yeah, this podcast is brought to you by Anchor, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I and, really... And Tom Bin, yeah. I really cannot recommend Anchor products enough. I'm a, I'm a big fan. They're not sponsoring the show, so this is a genuine recommendation. Yeah. I bought all of my Anchor products from Amazon uh, Italy because I need the, the, the Italian uh, wall pl- uh, plug. Mm-hmm. And when I'm traveling in Italy, I always, always bring the 29 watt USB adapter, USB C adapter for the iPad Pro. For yep. the big iPad, iPad Pro, which is the only one that supports uh, fast charging, I had an article on Mac Stories about this a while ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure about changing the uh, the wall plug with an international one if it keeps the same charging speed uh, because Apple doesn't have an international mm. adapter for the uh, that says 29 watt USB adapter compatibility but I'm pretty mm. sure if maybe you just buy uh, just the wall plug for the 29 watt adapter from I don't know from Amazon US or the Apple website in the US and then you just swap it out with a, with the Italian one maybe it'll work I don't know you I'm sure it'll work whether yeah. you whether you not get the full speed of charging i'm not certain uh, i'm not enough of a physicist to work that out i'm afraid but uh it's probably worth mentioning just for, for people who don't know and i think you were one of the people who didn't know <laughs> i didn't I put know it in the notes um you can actually buy a box from apple that has you know on all the laptop chargers and and most of the ipad chargers as well you can pull off the country specific set of pins and there's a little space to put in a different one you can actually buy a box containing all those other chargers or all those other pins for other countries in your country of origin. And then what that lets you do is it just lets you take your devices with you and plug them straight into the wall as if you were a local. Um, and you can buy this box and I think it has maybe uh, six or seven different uh, pin adapters in it. You've got, uh, I actually looked it up, you can do get a box that has North America, Japan, China, UK, continental Europe, Korea, Australia, Hong Kong, and Brazil. And of course, some of those countries use the same plug, so it's not it's not that exact number of plugs, but uh, that's a very useful way to um, just uh, get those things because it's hard to, how else would you get them apart from buying a box of them? So uh, the only other way to get them is to sort of buy an Apple product in that country and keep the, keep the adapter, <laughs> but that can get an expensive way just to charge your stuff. Um, but I, I've bought laptops in the US in the past, and one of the things you get in the with a US laptop is, you know, the, the sort of long extension cord that goes on to the laptop power adapters. I've got one of them with a US socket on the end, which is a, a very prized possession because that doesn't come in that box. It's just the wee short ones that plug into the box, uh, the charging box that then go into the wall that you get. And the key thing is the name for that uh, product is the Apple World Travel Adapter Kit. And that's what you're looking for on the uh, on the Apple Store online or, or in, in the store uh, if you want to start traveling internationally with Apple products. That's a very, very useful thing to have. Yeah, I didn't know this, this existed, Fraser, and I think you're going to change my life. It showed up uh, at my door today, and I look forward to traveling to the UK and the US with this adapter kit. Mike actually told me I didn't need to because he was going to take care of me <laughs> with mm-hmm. the adapters, but I feel more professional, you know, being independent with my own Apple World Travel Kit. You don't want to look like a tourist, right? So you, yeah. You, and the thing as well with, with some of the Apple chargers, particularly the, the US plug, um, the further out from the wall it goes, the more it tends to fall out the wall. Uh, so it's good to uh, just get that the way it's supposed to be. Very nice. So Fraser, tell me, because I'm really not an expert here, uh, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Tell me, what do you do for data when you travel abroad? What do you do for uh, 3G, 4G, data roaming? What exactly is the best way to go about it? Well, uh, for, it, it depends a little bit on your carrier locally. Um, I, I'm in the very fortunate position that my carrier, uh, which is 3 in the UK, uh, they give you, uh, essentially let you take your data package abroad with you for no additional cost. 
Uh, it's called they call it something like feel at home or something like that. Um, so I have uh, free data roaming in several countries. I don't know exactly how many because I basically only care about the US and a couple of others. But um, I can actually when I go to WWDC, for example, I'll be able to uh, to just use my phone as much as I want because I have an unlimited data package at home mm. and they've negotiated free roaming. So for me, that's one of, the, one of the major reasons to go with that carrier in the UK. I believe that others do now as well. I saw an advert recently for Vodafone offering similar kind of things. But if you're not on a carrier that offers you free roaming, you could either pay an absolute fortune uh, and pay by the megabyte for, for data when you're abroad or do the thing that I've done in some other countries where I can't roam, which is to buy a local SIM card and drop it into your phone. And you can normally get a prepaid SIM card for a certain amount of data, a certain amount of minutes and so on. Um, but the, the downside with that, Federico, always is that your phone number changes, of course. Yes. Uh, which is not, in principle, a problem if you're mostly wanting the data from mm-hmm. it, except for iMessage. Yeah. Be- because of caller ID issues. Yeah, because it changes in the settings. And uh, and it's especially tricky, uh, not just for iMessage alone, but also if you use... Um, two-factor authentication with web services and they send you codes via SMS to your SM, to your phone number when you put in the the new SIM card and maybe you you get the old SIM card and put it in, in a you know in a, in a pouch or in your bag whatever then you're not getting uh, the confirmation codes anymore now there's workarounds I mean of course you could change your phone number beforehand but chances are you don't know your new phone number or maybe no. you could use the backup codes to log into those web services but it's usually, I guess, maybe if you have an old iPhone, uh, just bring it with you, put in the old SIM card so that maybe two-factor authentication codes sent via SMS won't be a problem because they're going to the backup phone with the old SIM anymore. And plus, if people are calling you from abroad and it's an emergency or maybe your bank is calling you uh, to confirm some transaction on your credit card, there's still the old phone with the with the old SIM, your existing SIM, uh, it's powered down so you can receive phone calls you know, from people who don't know your new number. So I guess yep. that's what I'll be doing. I'll actually, I think I'll bring my Android phone and put the old <laughs> SIM card in there. Because, uh, bring an Android phone to WWDC. <laughs> no, I just keep it uh, hidden in keep my bag. Hidden, yeah. uh, people won't see it. Uh, but I think I'm going to get a T-Mobile uh, SIM mm-hmm. card with unlimited data. Uh, I don't know what the plan is for my iPhone and my iPad when I'm, when I'm in San Francisco. I'll probably get a lot of data for my phone and then tether my iPad with personal hotspot. I don't know yet. We'll see. Yeah, I haven't really thought that one through either. Sometimes what, when I roam to countries where my phone is free, uh, the iPad typically isn't because my iPad is a, a prepaid SIM card, although it's on the same network. Because it's a prepaid card, they don't let you do that kind of thing. So um, sometimes what I've done is buy a local SIM card for the iPad and just use my phone as it was. Just to go back to the two-factor authentication problem, when you if you change your phone number, one other approach you could do with that, and this is something that I've done because I've done this several times before, is all my two-factor authentication stuff is done in one password now. So yeah. I actually don't, I don't need to have access to my phone number. I just generate a new one, uh, two-factor authentication code in one password. And of course, if you're not using one password, you've also got options for uh, Google Authenticator yeah. and Authy, Authy A-U-T-H-Y. Yeah. Uh, those are two other apps that can do the same thing. So if you are a regular international traveler who swaps SIM cards, it's probably better to move your two-factor work off of your phone number and onto one of those apps. So tell me, tell me about the adapters. What do I need to know? Because I, I feel like you're the the globe throtter here, Fraser, <laughs> and I'm just yeah. learning as I go along. Yeah. So uh, adapters are, are a thing that um, it, it's one of these sort of uh, all eventualities thing, really and truly. I mean, the thing is, I, I tend to travel in order to give presentations to people. So I, I'm always going somewhere and I'm then going to do something that involves connecting to a display. Uh, and it's kind of the things that I mentioned in the episode about giving presentations. But uh, the one that I always travel with is, is a VGA adapter and an HDMI adapter. Uh, the HDMI adapter is something I added to the kit because I was more and more getting presented with TV panels to present on rather than just projectors traditionally. Um, but VGA always works everywhere pretty much. Um, HDMI adapters, also good for watching a movie on the hotel TV if you have uh, that in your room. Uh, I mentioned this previously and I got some feedback from listeners that said that they'd been in hotels where the HDMI ports on the TV were locked out so that you had to buy your movies from the in-room uh, wow. TV service. But that's taken it to extremes. That's a that's Sunday uh, nickel and diming you for the very last thing, which is it's pretty horrible. But uh, I've not experienced that personally. Every time I've plugged an iPad into a hotel HDMI socket, it has worked. So uh, your mileage will vary on that, I'm sure. 
The other thing about uh, the other adapter that I travel with is an Ethernet to USB adapter. Now, this mm. is an old one that we used to buy for when MacBook Airs first came out and people still wanted Ethernet on their computers. So it's an Ethernet to USB adapter. But with the new powered USB to Lightning adapter, you can in fact chain those two things together. And if you power up your iPad, plug in the Lightning adapter, plug in the USB to Ethernet adapter into that, and then plug in an Ethernet cable, yeah, you can actually get your iPad up on the network over over a wired network, which is something that um, uh, there's nothing in the iOS interface that shows you that that's working, but it does apparently work. Um, it's a technique that's used by iOS administrators to sometimes uh, get an iPad up on a network so they can push a command to it to unlock its passcode when the user's forgotten their passcode, uh, something that uh, is one of the dark arts of deploying iPads in places like schools. <laughs> um, but it's, it's some, I've never had to actually use it in anger uh, when traveling, but it's just something that's nice to have if you absolutely need it. Yeah, and I guess it can be useful at conferences, maybe for bloggers and you know press people. Uh, usually, mm -hmm. when you when you some locations have a have a wired internet connection option, and maybe if before you used to have to bring a laptop to connect to via you know wired uh, with a wired connection. Now I guess you could also with a bunch of cables and adapters, you could also bring an iPad with you if you want a live blog or if you want to have a have a computer with you during a conference or a press event. Uh, this is an option. I would like to see some kind of interface to confirm this that it's working but mm -hmm. it's good to know that under the hood that there's a the internet is possible if you only have a cable if all else fails yep okay so i want to take a break just now and i want to talk about our sponsor for this show which is airtable now we, last time we talked to you about airtable i told you some of the things that it could do and federico you mentioned to the listeners last week that you were using airtable for certain things i was wondering if you can maybe tell us a little bit about what what you find it good for uh, i mean airtable uh It's interesting, and it's one of the most uh, innovative products of, and services I've tried in the, in, the, in the past few years, really. It's like the next evolution of the spreadsheet. So instead of having the traditional, you, have, you can have on the desktop the traditional spreadsheet interface, you know, with rows and, and columns. Mm -hmm. But it really takes things to the next level uh, because it can be more than just text. It can be more than just columns. So you can add interface elements like checkboxes or toggles if you want to show that a thing is being switched off or switched on. You can have cells that link to each other. You can have pictures. You can have links. It's really the, the next step for the spreadsheet in a rich environment and especially on iOS because I know that our listeners follow us primarily for iOS on the iPhone and the iPad it really doesn't look like a spreadsheet uh, each table this is the name of, a, of an individual file I guess you could call it mm -hmm. um, Each table can be a rich information database. So it looks like a rich database. There can be images, there can be links. And we use it at Mac Stories for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, for example, we have a table where we keep track of apps that we want to cover. And to do so, Airtable allows us to insert the app icon uh, in each item so we can, at a glance, see what, what the app is about from the icon. We can add links and we can add cells with the name of the person who's in charge of that app. And I've also, I've also been using Airtable to keep track of the stuff that we mention in our newsletters. And because we can link cells together, so Airtable is smart, it's very intelligent. And I've seen people, for example, using Airtable for, uh, to plan weddings, to keep track of apartments when they're looking for new places to stay, film production, uh, cattle farming. There's all kinds of use cases for Airtable. But another one thing that I do is I link this the sections of the newsletters together. So Airtable has filters and really clever search that I can then filter and say, how many iPhone apps have I mentioned in Mac Stories Weekly in 2016? And I can do these filters and I can link stuff together and I can see, okay, I've talked about 20 iPhone apps and I've covered 12 iPad apps or five Mac apps. It's really smart, really clever, and it's really intuitive. It doesn't feel like a traditional spreadsheet at all. And it's one of those services and one of those apps you need to play with it to understand what is going on. It's free to try, and it's really one of the... I really struggle to describe it with words because in practice, yeah. it's, it's really a different experience than Google Sheets or even Quip. Uh, it's really clever and it looks great. 
Yeah, I always think of Airtable as. Do you remember an app that FileMaker produced called Bento? For yeah, iOS yeah, years it's ago? kind of like that. I, I always I think of it as it's like the Google Docs version of Bento. Right? Yeah, whereas yeah. Bento was was fixed on it was installed on one iOS device. It had a local database, and that was it. Um, Airtable is kind of like the richness that Bento had. But the database is kind of in the cloud, so you can collaborate with other people. It's multi-user. It's it's all the things you kind of expect of a cloud service. But it, it's kind of like the missing piece for Google Docs as well. If you if you are a big user of Google Docs and Sheets, and you like that kind of way of working where it's in the cloud and people connect to it, and you've always wished that it had a database component, well, Airtable is that database component, I think. And it's uh, it's a super super app and. Uh, we're definitely looking at it in school for some things that we're going to do in, a, in next year and the year after. Um, but it's it's a really nice app and, and very, very rich and definitely worth playing with. Yeah, so, and I'll tell you this, yeah. Fraser. It can also be automated with the web automation. So what I oh, do really? is every time I send a newsletter with MailChimp, there's a Zapier workflow that looks for the new newsletter, for the new issue. Okay. It sends it to Airtable, where I create a new entry with a link to the newsletter, the publication, date and then this is quite crazy because I can do multiple steps in Zapier mm-hmm. uh, every time there's a new entry in our table it also goes out to a slack channel where we keep track of each issue it's it's really it's really wow. really well done yeah so you can yeah. also it's it doesn't just look great it's also quite powerful so you can yeah. play with it there's support for attachments from Dropbox box evernote a lot of other services you should definitely check it out Okay, so you can find out more about Airtable by going to Airtable.com. And thank you so much to Airtable for their support of this show. Now, questions about things you might do on holiday, Federico. Number one, photos. How do you manage your snaps? So photos. So the, 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 the obvious solution, I guess, is to just use iCloud Photo Library uh, mm-hmm. because it's built into the iPhone, built into the iPad, if you're one of those people who take pictures with the iPad. And it's super easy to use. Just remember, it only uploads over Wi-Fi, doesn't upload over cellular. I wish there was an option. There's not an option yet. Uh, so remember that maybe when you go back to the hotel or to the Air- Airbnb where you're staying, the photos will upload over Wi-Fi. And remember... If the Wi-Fi is not so fast, the upload can, you know, saturate your your bandwidth. Um, But what I also use, Fraser, as a backup is Google Photos, personally. Mm. Um, I don't always open Google Photos. I open it maybe a couple of times a week. But when I'm traveling, what I do like is that after my trip, after my, my vacation, Google Photos, thanks to the assistant features, is smart enough to uh, kind of coalesce my photos and understand moments, understand w- what I went, what I did, and it does a bunch of things. Like it can uh, modify photos for you, so it uh, applies effects, and it makes photos, I guess, prettier, and it suggests the modified version to you, or it creates GIFs. So one example, last year I was in Positano on the Amalfi Coast in Italy, mm-hmm. and we still stayed there for uh, the the night of the 15th of August, which in Italy we call Ferragosto. It's this okay. uh, national holiday. And in Positano, it's this beautiful event. Uh, Positano is on a, on, a, on a bay, so there's a, the sea. And there's a bunch of boats that launch fireworks. And you can see these fireworks taking place all over the Positano Bay. And you can see the fireworks in the sky and the reflection on the, on the, on the water. And it's quite beautiful. And I took a bunch of burst photos and normal pictures with my phone. Later, Google Photos with the assistant suggested uh, videos from those photos put together and GIFs. And it was really, really amazing because I didn't think of that. I didn't have the time or the patience to do that. And Google Photos suggested that for me. And of course, it also built out, built out a timeline of my trip. So it creates this uh, this really fun uh, sort of diary with, uh, with selfies and your itinerary on a map. It shows you photos by time of the day, time, day of the week, puts everything on a, on a map. You can scroll around, you can swipe, you can move from location to location. It's really nice. Very cool. So the other thing you might want to do is if you're using a dedicated camera, for example, you could use the uh, Lightning to Compact Flashcard Reader to download your photos onto your iPad and manage them that way as well. That's quite a useful way to do things. If you want to have a backup just in the field and you have enough space on your device to do that, you can just download the pictures right there. 
Yeah. And uh, Fraser, I thought we'd, uh, we should talk about also, aside from bags and adapters and gear, we should also talk mm -hmm. about quickly about apps that we use when traveling. Yeah. Um, one of the obvious choices is Google Maps. Uh, if Apple Maps is uh, not enough for the location where you're going, uh, or if you want to access offline mode, which mm -hmm. Google Maps have, uh, you can you can install Google Maps on your phone, and then you can download um, an area of Google Maps. You can select it, save it offline. You're gonna save data. You're gonna have navigation. You're gonna have the ability to browse the map, and you won't use a single bit of your megabytes. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely useful. And also, um, I find Google Maps better than Apple Maps in the sense that it can tell you more about the place you're going to. You can see street view pictures. You can, it can even tell you things like, is the place open just now? And it will alert you if it's going to close before you get there and things like that, which yeah. is great if you don't really know your way around and you don't really know how long it's going to take to get there. And Google Maps can sort of advise on that yeah. as well, which is really helpful when, yeah. you're, when you're not around you know you're not local. What's even better is that for many, many points of interest, Google Maps now shows you the busiest times of the day. So they use yes. anonymized crowdsourced data. For example, you want to know when a bakery shop is the most crowded during the day? You can just look on Google Maps or on Google search for a mm -hmm. Google Maps result and you will see uh, the uh, the days of the week and the times of a single day to understand when a, when a store or another location is the most crowded. So that's pretty useful when you're going to a new location you're not exactly familiar with. Yeah, lots of, lots of kind of bits of information that you would know off by heart if you were local. Yeah. But if you're not local, Google Maps is a great way to get that kind of information. Yeah. W what about airline apps? Because personally... I'm a big fan of the British Airways uh, mm -hmm. app. It lets me easily uh, see the, the the flights that are coming up. It lets me change my seats if if it's free. Usually, I do that for free. Uh, it, I I know that it's got a watch app, but I haven't really used it. Yeah, I've used the watch app before, and it has a really good glance as well that will just tell you like how long it is till your next flight, and if there's any changes have come up or anything like that. Uh, so yeah, British Airways app is really good. I always find um, airline apps are a bit of a mixed bag. Some are really good and some are really terrible, um, particularly the ones that haven't been updated for the iPhone 6 Plus, for example. Oh, my God. Uh, which, which is still a thing, yes. Um, it's airlines. Um, but, of course, the other thing that, that they integrate with is uh, Passbook, or Wallet, as it's now called. Wallet, yeah. And that, that's another uh, uh, tool that's very useful when traveling. I tend to actually move that to my front screen whenever I'm traveling because it tends to have four or five different tickets in it, various loyalty cards that sometimes work internationally as well. Uh, the Starbucks loyalty card, for example, works internationally, as far as I know. Um, I've used that in, in other countries as well. So those are some quite useful things. Other one I really like is the Foursquare app. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big Foursquare user, but uh, I love the Watch app, particularly when you're in somewhere that you don't know, because it will kind of track you as you go around, and it will suggest to you things that are interesting nearby, you know, places that are good to eat and things like that. Um, I, I find that actually genuinely useful. It's not something, I don't tend to love that kind of thing, but uh, in the case of uh, Foursquare, it has genuinely been pretty useful to have that even popping up right on your wrist. Yeah, usually when we're traveling in Italy, uh, and this is a thing that I think most Italians do, we use either Yelp or, it's more popular here, TripAdvisor. Mm -hmm. And we use TripAdvisor to check on restaurant reviews. But what is useful here, and I think our Italian listeners can relate to this, <laughs> I don't want to sound like one of those Italians, <laughs> Italian people, but we check on reviews from other Italian people. Just because we... I knew that's where you were going with this. <laughs> just because we usually don't trust the taste or the reviews from uh, <laughs> Americans coming over. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. But trust me, a lot of people do this. And TripAdvisor knows this because they have an option. They let you they let you say, I just want to see Italian reviews. So you can see reviews from people with, with a taste, I guess, with habits <laughs> similar to yours. So okay. we do that quite often. And also when we go to, like, we went to Paris... Uh, with my girlfriend and her sister, and we were checking our restaurant reviews, and we we narrowed down the results to Italian people, and and those people were like, no, don't go to this restaurant, the pasta is terrible, <laughs> and we were like, okay, thank you. <laughs> Very important information. Yes. Yep. Yes. Um, the other thing I thought about there was um, weather apps mm. as well. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to a different climate from the one you're used to. 
Uh, of course, when we're going to California, we're not going to need a weather app because it will probably never rain. But um, in the UK, and I guess perhaps in Italy as well, uh, knowing when it's going to rain is, is a pretty important piece of information. Uh, in Scotland, it's basically always going to rain at some point. So, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> um, But the app I, I like for weather is Weather Pro. Um, I, I don't like to look at it. It is horrible to look at. It's this incredibly bright blue interface. Mm, okay. Uh, but you could set your watch by when the rain starts. The, the quality of the data underneath it is so, mm. so good um, that it, it's just been my weather app for years and I just love it for its, just for its accuracy, dependability. Yeah. Yeah. My choice is Weather Underground. It's got excellent data in Italy. I don't know about uh, other countries. Uh, mm. A bunch of people told me I don't really have to care about the weather in San Francisco because <laughs> it's so weird and it's always the same that I don't really have to care. But I will still will keep the app installed. And one of the benefits of Weather Underground is that it can connect connect to again crowdsourcing you can connect to net uh, net atmo weather stations mm-hmm. so these are the little sensors that people put out outside of their houses and they can give you hyper local data about humidity temperature chance of chance of rain that kind of stuff and it, plus the app really looks great it's on the iPhone Apple watch and iPad and it's got a really uh, really great uh, dark interface that you can activate I'm a fan. Uh, okay. Where do you keep your documents, Fraser, uh, when you need to make digital copies? Well, it, it, that has changed over the years. I used to use Evernote all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Mike has mentioned before that that's the only thing he uses Evernote for is to keep travel documents. Uh, Evernote is great for that because, A, you can pin information offline, and B, you can just forward your travel tickets to your Evernote email address, and, and they all show up there. Um what I've, I've started doing since I learned about email apps that can turn things into PDFs is to, I'm tending to just do that now and keep it in somewhere like PDF Expert on my iOS devices or even just Google, put it in Google Drive, but pin it offline. I'm not so crazy on the Google Drive option because sometimes I find the offline pinning of Google Docs doesn't always work very well. Mm-hmm. And if you if you get up to the, the United States border and you've got no documents that you can show the guy, then you're not getting in. So um, I, I tend to do a sort of belt and braces there. And particularly if I'm going to the United States, but also other countries, I will sometimes actually just print things on paper as well. Yeah, I do that too. Not, not always, but... Um, yeah. It depends how organized I am before I'm going on the trip, quite frankly. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a quick story. Uh, okay. We were in France again two years ago, and we realized that there was an issue with the digital version of our tickets for our flight back. So we needed to print out the ticket confirmation, but we didn't know how. So there was, uh, we rented an Airbnb, and under the, the apartment there was this uh, local tourist office and I went in asking for a printer and I basically felt like I and I walked into the the office of the the, the Steve Jobs of Paris. It was like this <laughs> super cool guy. He kind of looked like Steve Jobs with this office full of iMacs and MacBooks and iPads and iPhones and even the Apple Airport uh, wireless router. You found the right office in Paris. It was it was <laughs> amazing and I asked for a printer and it was like sure I I got a printer for you. And right there, I was like, okay, I got this PDF in PDF Expert. What do I do now? So I asked him, can I send you an email? And the guy looks at me with a sort of <laughs> like, I'm, are you kidding me? And he was like, I have a Bonjour printer, you know, with a wireless standard. So it just clicked right there. I went to there the App go. Store. I downloaded uh, Printer Pro, also from Riddle, the same mm-hmm. folks behind uh, PDF Expert. I send the PDF to Printer Pro. Printer Pro works with the Bonjour standard. And in 30 seconds, I had my PDF printed out on paper thanks to the Parisian Steve Jobs. Uh, it was, I mean, the guy was so cool. He, he took us to the train station and he bought us tickets <laughs> to the airport. <laughs> I, I, to this day, I don't know why this person did that, but it was so, so cool. So it was thank you. He was an angel. He wasn't a person. He was, he was an angel, really. In the back of the office wasn't there. He was my version of a geeky angel. There was an <laughs> office full of Macs and he looked like Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I was this before or after Steve Jobs died. After it was in 2014. Oh. Yeah, seriously. So maybe. Yeah, no, I don't know. Anyway, I yeah. 
speaking of documents, I keep my digitalized versions in the Apple Notes app uh, mm -hmm. because it now supports Touch ID authentication for single notes. So I can okay. protect my passport, my um, the other documents when traveling to the US uh, protected by Touch ID, which is very cool. I have all that stuff in one password. Which, which is very helpful. Um, and particularly for things like passports, I have that in a vault that's shared with other people in my family so that if ever there's a real crisis and say I've lost all the devices, I can phone someone else up to look up that information for me as well. Um, we could talk about one, we could do a whole show in one password for families <laughs> and, and we might do it at one point, but uh, that, that's how I do it as well. Yep. I also want to mention quickly the the Google apps. So the the, the actual Google, it's called just Google, uh, the mm -hmm. Google search app and Google Inbox. The Google app, it's, uh, it's really smart in that as soon as you arrive or land in a new, in a new city, in a new place, it automatically updates with GPS and um, cellular connection. And it tells you the local currency, the weather conditions, the forecast. It suggests places to visit or directions to the hotel if you have a hotel confirmation in your Gmail account. Uh, and then you can open directions in the Google Maps uh, app where you can also have integration with uh, ride-sharing services like Uber. So you can say, I need to go to the hotel because I got this email that says that I'm, I should be at the hotel and took me, take me there with an Uber. So that's really clever. Google Inbox, on the other hand, also, by looking into your email, you can build these trips bundles, uh, which are like full-scale timelines of your entire itinerary. It can aggregate emails, and we talked about this two weeks ago, it can aggregate emails from, from the hotel, from flight tickets, uh, museums, places where you need to be. It figures out everything on its own, the time zone conversions, places, locations, addresses. It's really super clever. The impact on battery life of all this is minimal, in my experience. Um, and the same applies to the, speaking of locations, to the Moves app. So Moves got acquired by Facebook a few years ago. And it used to be quite terrible at draining battery. Yes. It's one of those apps that can monitor your location constantly in the background so it can generate a timeline of every point of interest that you've visited. Now, uh, I've had uh, moves on my phone for about a month and it takes up uh, like 10% of battery life for a week of usage. So it's not so terrible and it can be useful to, you know, to have a timeline of all the places you've been, how much time you spent there, how much time you spend on transportation methods. Uh, you know, if you're into that kind of stats, to have the kind of timeline for yourself can be quite useful. Yeah, so th those are some of the, the the kind of key apps for traveling, I think. And, and there's some tips we just want to wrap up with. Uh, and these are kind of just in the form of bullet point ideas that you might want to think about if you're traveling. Um, but I, I think in general, the, the message that I would like to give here is that iOS devices travel generally very well. Yeah. Uh, and there's not, most of the difficulties arise around um, accidental excessive use of mobile data and uh, changing your phone number and accidentally screwing up iMessage temporarily uh, while you've got a different SIM card in the same phone. Um, but the main recommendation to start with is just to keep location services turned on at all times so that you can get things like automatic change of time zones, particularly if you're traveling across time zones and you don't exactly, well, in Europe, for example, you don't always um, appreciate where the border is, etc., etc. So, um that, that can be useful. Um, and also just letting the camera app use your location so that all your photos get geotagged. Uh, that's one of the main, th one of my favorite things on, on iOS photography is having geotags and everything. Uh, and it's something that's worth uh, just checking that you've got turned on. That's in settings, privacy, and then uh, location services in there. Um, what else we got? Uh, set a passcode on your phone. I mean, I'd like to think that there's nobody who doesn't do that now, but there, I believe there are still some people who don't set passcodes, but uh, setting one for travel is a very, very good idea. Um, I, I'm not so sure about this, Federico, I don't know if you know about this, but apparently the health app can make yeah. an emergency medical ID for you. Yes. I, I didn't know this. I have one, uh, you know, because of the issues mm -hmm. that I that I had a few years ago. Now I, I have all of my information about the, uh, the the chemotherapy that I did a few years ago, all of the procedures that I had, my blood, uh, what's, it, what's it called? Blood, blood group? Type. Blood yeah, type. Blood group, yeah. uh, Blood type information, all of my stuff in there. 
can be useful, you know, to have the, that sort of information, especially if you had previous conditions or, you know, treatments that you need to inform other people in case of an emergency. And um, I've also seen people do custom lock screen wallpapers with mm-hmm. uh, ID, phone numbers, photos, that type of, that type of stuff. Do you, do you do that, Fraser? Um, I, I don't routinely do it, no, but I, I, if I was doing something that was particularly risky, I probably mm. would do it. Yeah. Um, also things like your, your travel insurance policy number and the phone number for somebody to call, uh, next to kin phone numbers, things like that. This is the part of the notes where I feel like a real, you know, uh, chicken little when it comes to traveling because it's all just things to do in the case of a disaster. But um, I suppose what you're thinking about is when you travel, you don't always know the situations that are risky. You don't recognize the same things as you do at home. Um, I mean, I I know what's risky when walking through Glasgow, let's say, but I don't necessarily know where the risky parts of San Francisco are. And I'm quite likely to wander into one uh, without really knowing it. And and just defending yourself that little bit against um, things going wrong is probably worth doing. Yeah, and, you know, it's worth keeping in mind that you can disable, for example, access to notification center uh, from the lock screen. You can disable Siri. So if you want to have more protection on your phone, uh, make sure to review all of your passcode, touch ID settings uh, before traveling. And also make sure that you have Find My iPhone enabled. You know, it's good. I feel like practicing with Find My Phone, how it works. What do you do when you need to find your phone using Find My Phone on another person's device? I cannot stress this enough make sure that you remember your iCloud password so I tend to generate all of my passwords with one password but the Mm -hmm. iCloud one and the Dropbox one I make them memorable so I can remember them. They're quite difficult to guess. They're very difficult to guess. It's like a sentence that only, only I know. But make sure that it's not a random one from one password because otherwise you may find yourself in a situation where you need to find you need to use Find My Phone on another computer, on another iPhone, and you don't know how to log into your Apple ID. So you know, these are uh, these few accounts that you need to access during emergencies, iCloud, Dropbox, your Apple ID, make sure you know the password. Yeah, I mean, if you are a one-password user, then the basic test is, if I have nothing else on me, no other computer, can I get to my one-password database and read it somehow? Um, I've actually been going through a process of testing that for myself, and I discovered I had a problem, which was that um, my my one-password database was synced through Dropbox, and my Dropbox password I did not know was in my 1Password database. Huh, so yeah. I had a circular dependency to set it up, and, and it never came up because I always had another device that knew I could get the password from. But if I was to lose my phone and my iPad, I would have no way back into that 1Password database at all. Yeah. So I, I've you know, changed that situation now so that I can, I can do it. Yeah. yeah, also maybe a good practice would be to print out... Uh, a few backup codes for mm-hmm. two-factor authentication. Keep them in your actual wallet next to your ID. So if you know if all goes south, if people if you people steal your iPhone, whatever, you can log into your iCloud or Google account or Dropbox account, and you can you know take it from there. Yep, uh, those are all all good suggestions. Another one I, I would throw out there is. Um, if you're connecting to unfamiliar networks, oh yes, <laughs> um, particularly in countries that maybe uh, don't have a great reputation for cybersecurity or uh, low cybercrime, uh, using a VPN to connect back to some endpoint on the internet that you trust is a great idea. Uh, TunnelBear is one that I, I use. Um, TunnelBear is mostly orientated towards getting onto Netflix in other countries, um, but Cloak is another good option for iOS. Uh, and iOS has got some great power. Um, around about uh, setting up VPN networks on demand or if you're on unfamiliar Wi-Fi networks. And Cloak has some really great features for that. So you you don't use VPN when you're on your home network or your office network. But if you connect to another Wi-Fi network that you don't know, the VPN will automatically fire up and and encrypt your traffic, which is is a really good idea overall. Yeah. And this is one that uh, that, uh, it's a recent addition to iOS. Use low power mode when you're traveling. Yeah. Uh, it lets you save on a ton of battery life. We also had a story on the site about uh, going on vacation and using low power mode. I know that it's meant to be used when the battery is running low and you want to save on data, but trust me, mm-hmm. if you're going to be out all day, walking around, checking the you know Twitter, Foursquare, whatever, keep it on at all times. Start the day, as soon as you remove your, your iPhone from the charging cable, 
activate low power mode. It's good. There's going to be some limitations. Brightness will be lower. The device will lock more uh, quickly because the, the auto lock will be engaged every 30 seconds. Yeah. But the battery will give you an extra couple of hours. That can be really handy, especially when it's night, you're going back to the hotel, you need to call a Uber and, you know, it's going to be useful. Yeah, because the mobile phone is the remote control for all of these services now, yeah. and it's, it's something that's really, it's really important to have your phone working. Um, another suggestion that I had, um, from, I was actually giving this advice to some colleagues at school because we were away on a school trip, and the area that we were in was quite remote, and none of us had mobile phone service, uh, was to just put your, your phone into airplane mode and then turn on the Wi-Fi so that when we were in the center building, we could get on the Wi-Fi, but our phones wouldn't burn through their battery trying to get a signal all day, every day that they would never get. Um, so if you are going somewhere very remote, then just putting your phone into airplane mode is is a pretty good idea because it will save your, your phone constantly searching for a signal that, that will never come. Yeah, and I, I feel like we should also mention time zone apps and widgets on iOS. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always useful. I mean, you can do this kind of conversion if you just open Google and say uh, 10 a.m. Uh, time in San Francisco and you can get a bunch of conversions from Google. But it's useful to keep around a few dedicated apps maybe. I used uh, Clock with the K, uh, K-O-L-K, and Global. The, these are two time zone conversions apps. Uh, they have widgets. They let you easily see what the time is like in another time zone. They're useful to keep around, you know, keep them in a folder. Mm-hmm. You're not going to need them all the time, but when you do, you'll be thankful. Yeah. And of course, the Apple Watch is another thing that you can use for that kind of information as oh, well. Yeah. A couple of suggestions for complications that you I tend to use when traveling that I don't use at home. Number one, I tend to put my home time zone, I put the UK time zone on my watch so that if I'm in San Francisco and I'm calling home, I don't wake people up in the middle of the night or whatever and I can sort of track when, you know, when the kids might be home from school, I could call them or something like that. Um, I don't tend to use the world clock normally, but it's quite useful. Um, Sunrise and sunset information. Very useful if you are in a different latitude to your normal latitude. Uh, in Scotland in the summer, it's light till all hours of the night. So uh, we tend to go out late at night in, in Scotland. But in other countries, of course, that doesn't happen. Uh, the further south you go, the less that happens. So uh, it, it may be advisable as well not to be caught out after dark in a place that you're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. So knowing when the sun's going to go down is, is something that's quite useful information as well. Um, <laughs> and the last one, this is my sort of... Uh, absolute disaster scenario but there's an app called just press record on the yes, apple watch yes which uh i thought you know if you ever get yourself into a very compromised scenario you might want to be able to discreetly turn on audio recording for whatever is about to happen um and just press record is, is a nice app that you just with one button as it, as it suggests you can just start recording from the microphone on your watch and there's a complication on that as well i mean it's unlikely if you're going to most countries but if you were going to somewhere that was you know particularly at risk of uh, official abuse of any kind, that might be a useful thing to be able to do. Of course, there may be local laws around that as well that you might want to be careful of too. So uh, that's just, a, that's my James Bond scenario if you ever are really, really in trouble. So that concludes our show on traveling with iOS. This is Canvas 11. So show notes are at relay.fm slash canvas slash 11. Uh, you can connect with us uh, on underscore Canvas FM on Twitter. That's the show. I'm Fraser Spears. Federico is Vitici. Uh, if you're going to be at WWDC, I believe we will both be there. So we uh, look forward to meeting people there. Uh, and we'll see you next time on the show.